like Micah said, there is nothing beyond God's providence and beyond his control, and that's really the crux of what God wants to say to you today. Uh, I'm not thankful that your pastor's sick, but I am thankful for the opportunity to be here and to preach God's word. I am a preacher first and foremost, a director of mission second, and I love to preach. I don't get as much opportunity to preach uh, as I did when I pastored uh, for many years before I became a director of missions, but I am thankful for the opportunity to speak to you folks here at Fairdale uh, today. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, begin the service? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God, that you know our needs even before we voice them, that you know the needs of our heart, that you are able when we are unable. Lord, that you are mighty and that you are good. And Father, in the midst of this time, Lord, as we draw close to one year and we mark the anniversary of a new year, Lord, may we keep our eyes focused firmly upon you and trust in you with all our heart and not lean to our own understanding. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We thank you, your son, Jesus, who died on Calvary, that we might have life eternal. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, a very familiar passage. I think most of you will recognize it. Of course, it's the calling of Isaiah. When Isaiah himself felt the call to the ministry and God led me to this passage to share with you today, and like Micah said earlier, I didn't know I was going to be preaching today, but uh, I went through, you know, and the Bible says be instant, be ready in season, out of season, so <laughs> we're going to be ready today to preach to you God's Word. I, I usually don't dress this casual. Uh, I didn't bring any preaching clothes. I didn't bring my Bible even. I brought my tablet, so, and, and so... Y'all pray with me because I'm a little out of my comfort zone. I, I did print me out a paper thing because I don't trust electronics, folks. I'm from that generation that I just can't, you know, just depend totally on that. So I got both here to, uh, uh, to do. So if you have that place marked out in Isaiah chapter 6, I'm reading from the good old King James Bible this morning. And so um, um, that's where we are. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 13 of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and then the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, 
and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I just want to share with you three simple things this morning as we consider the closing of one year and the dawning of a new year. As we say goodbye to 2015 and as we look to the coming year, the year of our Lord, 2016, as we think about newness of life, as we think about all the things that are going to take place in this coming year, and as we reflect on those things that have taken place this year, there are some things that the Lord wants us to remember. There are some things that the Lord wants us to understand. As I look at this passage of Scripture, I think about Isaiah, first of all. You know, the historical background of this passage is very important. Uzziah had been the king of Judah for 52 years. Can you imagine? You know, we've had a president now for eight years. And every, you know, four to eight years we change our leaders. But they had had the same leader in office. They'd had the same man in power for 52 years, longer than any other king. When he came to power as a teenager at the age of 16, when his father Amaziah was assassinated after a failed military battle with the king of Israel, Joash. But Uzziah had followed the Lord. He'd been a good king, and he'd been blessed. And the nation, as a result of his leadership, had been blessed as well. Now, later on in life, uh, King Uzziah usurped the priestly authority, and you, you will remember that story how God struck him down with leprosy because he went into the temple to offer incense on the altar, something that only the priest was to do. And so in the last 13 years of his life, he was secluded from the public because of his leprosy. And his son, Jotham, carried on the day-to-day -day operations of the kingdom, but he was still the power of the throne. He was the one who gave direction, even though Jotham had been taking on and carrying on day to day. But now Uzziah had died. He had died. It says there in the day, in the year that King Uzziah died, where was Isaiah? He went into the temple. And the point that I think that uh, is important for us to understand here today is that when things seem to be going wrong, we must understand that the Lord is still on the throne. You know, a lot of things have gone wrong this year. We've, had, we've seen the rise of, uh, of terrorism and, and, and a, a scale that we've never seen before with ISIS and all the things overseas, and it's come home. It's come back to the United States now even. We've seen it in Europe, and we've, we've, we've seen some bad things happen to good people. We've also seen some... Things go bad for the church, haven't we? 
back in the spring and about this time last year, we were contemplating what was going to happen when the Supreme Court of the United States came and made that proclamation concerning the sanctity of marriage. And we know now, looking back, that it did not come as a good verdict for those of us who believe in the Bible, who trust in His Word, and who have those Christian values that our nation was founded upon and that we all have embraced and lived by. But for the most part, this world is going a direction different from what you and I believe as God's people. And as we think about these things, as we think about things going wrong, the Bible stands firm for us to remember that, we, and see, this was a, a national crisis in the day of, of Isaiah. I mean, he was wondering what's going to happen now. Uzziah's dead. Now, see, and Isaiah was a, not only was he a priest, he was a relative. He was related to the kingly line, and so he was a cousin, so to speak, to the king. And now he doesn't know. Will his son continue to follow the lead of his father? But now that Jotham is in, in charge on his own, will he forsake the God of his fathers? Will he forsake the ways of, of the scriptures? Would he go a different route with his leadership? Will he, as so many others had done before, bring pagan gods into the land? Or will he ally himself with nations that God is not honored in? The nation was at a crossroads in the time of Isaiah. And Isaiah found the altar and he found his knees. And he's there praying in the temple at this crisis time because Uzziah is dead. And what does he see? The Lord, high and lifted up and on the throne. That great vision at the very beginning of this ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah is a young man here. And his ministry spans some 40 years and four kings. And here at the onset of his ministry, at the very beginning of his, of his ministry, what does he see? He sees a vision of God as he truly is. High and lifted up. And folks, you need to understand that the Lord is on the throne. He's on the throne of history. History is really his story. It is God's story that he's weaving the tapestry and for us and for you and for me. Everything that has happened has meaning and has purpose. There is no surprises to God. You need to understand that. God's not surprised by the fact that my daughter-in-law didn't have a baby on December 24th. We were a little surprised. I mean, we dropped everything and drove up here. But God's on the throne. He knows full well what's going to happen. You can't surprise him. And he's on the throne, and we need to remember that. High and lifted up. I like that phrase there in the latter part of verse 1. He's up there, folks. He's high. Everything that we see about God here in this passage of Scripture, we do not need to underestimate His power. We do not need to underestimate His glory. We do not under, need to under, underestimate His presence in this world. He's on the throne of history. No surprises. He's on the throne high and lifted up. Sometimes, though, folks, we don't see God high and lifted up, do we? The smoke of sin shrouds his glory from us we're focused on the circumstances the mundane things of life and we're worried about the things that are happening here and now 
And we sometimes don't see the bigger picture. See as Isaiah did that day, who God is. See as Isaiah did that day, that his glory not only fills his house, not only fills his temple, but it fills all of history and it fills this entire world. See God as he did. Lift up your eyes and see him. He is high and lifted up. But oftentimes we don't see those things because we don't focus. We're blinded. We turn a blind eye to God and what he's doing. And even those of us who know him and are his followers at times let the things and the cares of this world consume us. We get to worrying about the bills. We begin to worry about this, that, and the other. We begin to think about what's going to happen next. And we get before we know it, we're consumed with the wrong thing. Get your eyes back on the Lord and keep them focused on him. For he is high and he is mighty and his glory fills the earth. You've heard the phrase before. I know you have. Uh, get off your soapbox. You know, uh, the word, the, the soapbox, the phrase, that little phrase comes from a practice that was done back at the, uh, the turn of the 20th century where someone would go out into a park and they would uh, take a soapbox with them, which was a wooden crate in those days, and they would put it out and they would stand on that soapbox so it would be a little bit higher like a preacher on a pulpit, and they would stand there and they would talk about political things or religious things or social things, and whoever was walking by would gather and hear them. Well, the story's told of a particular man who was a skeptic of the ways of God. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it's a good illustration, so listen. <laughs> he stood on a soapbox in Hyde Park in New York City, and he poured scorn upon Christianity, and these are the things he said. People tell me that God exists, but I can't see him. People tell me that there's life after death, but I can't see it. People tell me that there's a judgment yet to come, but I can't see it. People tell me that there's a heaven and that there's a hell, but I can't see them. He won some cheap applause and he climbed down from his bully pulpit, his little soapbox. An old man in the crowd struggled to the front, climbed up on the soapbox, and he said, People tell me that there's green grass all around me, but I can't see it. People tell me there's blue sky up above, but I can't see it. People tell me there are trees in this here park, but I can't see them. Well, you see, I'm blind. What's more sad than someone who is physically blind is someone who is spiritually blind. Someone who refuses to see the obvious. Can we see God with a telescope? No. But I can see his heavens. And I can read the word of God that says that the heavens declare thy handiwork, O God. Thou art inexcusable, O man. What is man that thou art mindful of him? I can read the pages of Scripture where it tells us the results of what God has done. And if you're here in this place, more than likely you have experienced the grace of God 
And you have seen the work of God in your life, and in the life of your family, in the life of your friends. Maybe you're here and you've not, you can't see it, though. Because sin has clouded your eyes to the fact that God is there. Let me assure you, He is. Let me assure you, He's high and He's lifted up. And when things seem to be going wrong in this world, the Lord is still on the throne. He's on the throne of history. He's on the throne of many people's lives. Is he on the throne of your life? A second thing which I see in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 6 that I think he would like me to share with you this morning is that when sin fills the land, the Lord is still holy. We've seen a lot of sin in this world, haven't we? I mean, it doesn't take much. You just turn on the television and... You see sin filling our land. We're living in a day and time and in a society where wrong is right and right is wrong. And the only thing that uh, really is considered sin by a lot of people is the intolerance we have toward it. The fact that God says that there are things that are wrong. Now, that's wrong, you know. If we say that someone shouldn't do something because the Bible says that he shouldn't do that, then we are considered intolerant and we're considered bigots and we're considered racist or we're considered somebody who's, who's, who's not in step with what's going on in modern day society. And so we're put on the shelf or we're put in, we're marginalized by the secular media, we're mar marginalized by the thinking of uh, progressive people because we're old-fashioned. <laughs> I'm with you, bro. <laughs> but you know, this world and this time, you know, when the land is filled with sin, you've got to remember there's a standard that God set called holiness. Isaiah was overcome by the sight of God. He could not but see that he was sinful compared to the majesty of a holy God. He, the angels testified to his holiness. Isaiah was only seeing what was in the temple where he was. What verse 2 tells us is that the whole earth is filled with his glory. I like that phrase. It makes me understand that in those darkest recesses of Africa where missionaries have yet to go, his glory is reigning. It helps me to understand that in the drug-filled streets of the ghetto where it seems like there is no God, God's glory reigns. In the halls of kings and of tyrants, and in halls and the tents of terrorists, and his glory reigns. In the classrooms of Ivy League schools that have all but dismissed God, his glory is still there. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The angels knew it. They see his train filling not only the temple, but spilling out into a world and filling the world. God is holy in the whole earth. The whole world is filled with his glory. But Isaiah was overcome by his sin and the sins of God's people. He was concerned with where he lived and with the people that he came in contact with. He was concerned with the fact, he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We're all unclean next to what I see here as a holy and righteous God. There's a lesson to be learned here. We can do more for God around those that we know than those that we don't know. 
I mean, you know, we can pray for those folks. We can send our Lottie Moon Christmas offering overseas for our missionaries to work with and to help. But the sphere of influence which you have are the people around you, the people that you come in contact with day by day. That's your world. That's your Jerusalem. That's where you live and where you dwell. And you dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All of us have those unclean lips. And we can do nothing more to cleanse ourselves than Isaiah could in that day except cry out to a holy and righteous God. And what did God do? He sent one of his angels who came and took a, 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 you know, a coal off the altar. Folks, I, I don't know about you. I don't want a, a live coal touched my lips. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just a little afraid of fire when it comes to stuff like that. You know, the word purge comes from the word pyros, which is the Greek word for fire. So when we are purged from our sin, it's as if God burns the dross of sin out of us. But thanks be to God that he didn't have to do that to us because there was a substitute for us on the cross of Calvary that took that fire for us. Jesus died, suspended between heaven and earth, and he shed his precious blood for you and for me that we might be purged from our sin. Thanks be to God for his glorious marvelous grace that we experience we experience the benefit of salvation and the purging of sin because of what Christ suffered for us on Calvary our sphere of influence is our family our friends our acquaintances our co-workers our neighbors those who see us on a regular basis and when sin fills the land and is in their life the Lord's glory should fill his temple and spill out into the world. Now, God does not dwell in a temple made with hands anymore. Think about God's temple. You're God's temple. I'm God's temple now. We are those lively stones. We are the building that he is erecting, the church his followers, those who know him. We are the temple, and his glory should fill us and spill out into our world. So think about that when sin fills the land, the glory of God and the holiness of God inhabits his temple and the train. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The third and final thing which I think it's important for us to see here in this passage of scriptures not only is that when things are going wrong God is still on the throne not only whenever uh, sin fills the land the Lord is still holy but also when we fail God he cleanses us from sin Isaiah is right where God wants him at the feet in submission to his will but he's not ready yet he must be purified and he will purify you and he will purify me. You know, I don't know what it's like, you know, to experience what Isaiah experienced. But I know what it's like to have my sins forgiven. As a young man, 17, asked Jesus to save me from my sins, and he did. And he'll do the same for all who will come to him that work. Come to him and ask. To those who 
know him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Our God is a good God, and he's a righteous God. Like a surgeon with a scalpel, he cuts away the putrefied infection of sin so that we can live and go and speak for God and live for God. But you have to be willing, just like Isaiah, you must let God be God. God is God. But we need to have that attitude that Isaiah had. We need to have the same mind that he had in that moment, in that time. Woe is me, for I am undone. You know, when judgment comes to us in our life and we're seeing the judgment of God, I think, upon a nation that has for largely forsaken it. And, uh, and, and I won't go into everything here. But understand that all throughout the Scripture, there's a doctrine of the remnant. remnant. There's always, God always preserves His people. A remnant. When judgment does come into this world, He preserves that remnant. Throughout the Old and New Testament, he never utterly destroys. Even when you go back and you look at the, the flood, he preserved a remnant. When the nation of Israel, and this was before they were taken away into captivity, he told them, he said, there'll be a remnant saved, a tenth. There'll be a tithe there. There'll be part of y'all that will come back, and you will restore the nation of Israel. And, and, it, and it did, and it was in existence when Jesus came into this world. And we still have people today. We have a nation of Israel today because God has in the habit of restoring. He's in the habit. He's in the, he's in the business of redemption. That's what he does. Today, God's remnant is the church. When you look at how many people, you know, and I've, I haven't checked the world population clock lately. It's over 7 billion people in this world. Only a small portion of those proclaim the name of Jesus. Only a small portion of those claim to be Christian. Only a small portion of those, and you know as well as I do, not everybody that claims to be Christian is Christian. And so it's even a smaller portion than those who, who claim it. There's a remnant that God will preserve. And that doctrine, you know, you know even as... You know, Isaiah saw the people of the northern kingdom go away into captivity, but he did not see Judah go into captivity. That was 135 years later. But you know, God has always had a people, people who would not bow their knee to Baal or Ashtoreth, who would not go after other gods. No, God has always had a people, even amidst in days of times when, when society says that uh, it's okay to, to live the way you want to without consequences. Even every day and every age, there has been falling away and there has been a preserving of a remnant. And there always will be. Even in the, the end times as we read the scriptures, you know, and, and the New Testament reading, you know, mentioned, you know, in Revelation 15, uh, talked about uh, that, that same, I, I was reminiscing as I listened to, to those words being spoken of what, was, what Isaiah saw. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Almighty. And he always preserves a remnant. And he always will. The question is, are you part of that remnant? Are you part of that following of God? 
So come what may, God is on the throne. He's on the throne of history. Even when things look bleak. And you know, I'm not as concerned with who's in the White House this time next year as I am concerned with who's in the house of your throne room. Who's in your throne room of your house? Is God on the throne room of our house? More so. He's holy. He still cleanses people of sin, and he will until he returns. He's still preserving his people, and he will till he returns. I take hope as we stand upon the break of a new year in the fact that God is on the throne. Don't grow discouraged. I rejoice in the knowledge and I trust in him. The scripture says, do not grow weary in well-doing. For you shall reap a harvest in due time if you faint not. Keep on keeping on for God. Keep trusting. Keep focused on his glory. And he'll do the rest. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, which is a comfort to us, but was also a challenge to us. It's a challenge in this day and time, Lord, that we are 